Hello, friends, and welcome to our Monday teaching. Usually we have Sunday teachings, but we're doing some extra classes this week. My name is Venerable Tarpa. Before we begin, let's take a moment to appreciate our kind community gathered here today. Today, I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind community in the safety and security of like-minded friends, sharing this present moment with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life, a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember, as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world, to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature, to expand our hearts and minds, uh, uh, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet, to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. Again, welcome to our teaching. Today we're going to be examining taking bodhisattva vows. Yesterday we did a short teaching on taking refuge vows. Now we're going to move on from there. Um, we begin to engage with, with the Buddhist path through study, practice, and training. Most come to Buddhism through study, or reading books, attending teachings, or through practice by attending meditation and mindfulness programs. However, when practitioners become serious about their path, they may wish to begin their formal Buddhist training. Training in Buddhism begins with taking refuge and receiving refuge vows. Then, after a considerable amount of time studying, practicing, and training in refuge vows, practitioners may wish to deepen their practice further by moving on and taking bodhisattva vows. As we shared yesterday, um, vows are defined as a solemn pledge or promise, whereas precepts are defined as guidelines of personal conduct intended to facilitate swift spiritual progress. In other words, taking vows is a promise to uphold guidelines of virtuous and awakened behavior. Vows are always taken voluntarily with the practitioner deciding for themselves just how committed they wish to be. According to the Dalai Lama, precepts are not absolute rules, but instead guidelines intended to stabilize and deepen our commitment to our spiritual path. Each precept outlines clear and precise parameters pertaining to our intentions and behaviors. Holding precepts creates a great level of clarity and stability in our lives by outlining predetermined behaviors that clearly dictate appropriate intentions, actions, and reactions. 
by maintaining pure precepts, we protect and increase our mental, emotional, and spiritual development. For in moments of difficulty or indecision, in which we may be susceptible to making poor choices, our precepts remain clear. It's at these times that we can rely on our precepts to protect us by ensuring that our intentions, choices, actions, and reactions are appropriate and coincide with the Buddhist teachings. Again, bodhisattva vows are built upon refuge vows. However, where refuge vows are fairly straightforward and pertain more to our actions and basic rights and wrongs, bodhisattva vows focus on a subtler level of understanding. Uh, moving past our deeds to the true source of our merits, our intentions, the intention the intention behind our actions. It's important to understand that bodhisattva vows are aspirational, meaning we are pledging to follow our training with the hope of one day becoming bodhisattvas. <clears throat> uh, bodhisattva training is focused on the cultivation of awakened behavior. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, that the idea that the vows themselves paint a picture of what an awakened being is, their behaviors, the way they carry themselves. So it creates an archetype for us to, to mimic and move towards. Secondly, uh, bodhisattva vows are focused on the development of bodhicitta, the altruistic mind of awakening. So when we do bodhicitta is, it's let alone as a, a regular altruistic mind. This is a, an altruistic compassion and caring mind far above everyday regular compassion. This is at the level of great practitioners, of great bodhisattvas and great Buddhas. So when we talk about bodhicitta or the altruistic mind, we're talking about uh, having compassion. Sometimes they describe it as almost superhuman powers of compassion. This is the goal of this quality of bodhicitta. And they call it a mind because once you experience a direct experience of bodhicitta, it becomes a constant state of mind, an enduring mental state. So they refer to it as the mind of bodhicitta. And often they assert that once you have a taste of this, the mind has great, great difficulty falling back into mundane kind of thinking. And lastly, uh, bodhisattva training is focused on the understanding of emptiness and the true nature of reality. Emptiness, I think the term is always kind of complex. The, the term isn't, doesn't quite explain it well. In a sense, emptiness is more uh, related to interdependence. And it's the idea that, that all things are interdependent. And so like when I look at my phone, we commonly, we just look at it as a distinct object all by itself. But through examination, you realize, well, it's not a single object. It's a collection of objects, right? It's a collection of things. 
there's all kinds of pieces parts. And then when we look further, we realize, well, even those pieces parts are collections and they themselves are full of pieces parts. And this goes down and down and down until you get to the atomic level, right? And you get, and you, and you realize everything is just made up of carbon. So, uh, so the idea is that all things are made up of other things. And what they're saying is it's, it's empty or lacking self-existence, that it's, that it's existing solely on its own. That's the idea of, that's a short version of emptiness. SBT has its own unique presentation of the Bodhisattva vows that we believe best serves our modern secular Sangha. Um, having a unique presentation of the Bodhisattva vows is not unusual for each of the Mahayana traditions have their own. For example, Tibetan Buddhism, uh, where I first took my bodhisattva vows, um, have 64 precepts. The Japanese Zen tradition holds 10. Plum Village uh, with Thich Nhat Hanh have their own set of vows, as well as the Tri Ratna group. Um, so uh, uh, quickly, I'd like to, to explain, bodhisattva vows arise from the Mahayana tradition. So... Traditionally in Buddhism, you can see Buddhism existing in two different traditions, the Theravada tradition and the Mahayana tradition. The Theravada tradition is considered the old school. That's the older tradition. The Mahayana tradition being the reformists. And it's an additional set of sutras that are claimed to be written by the Buddha in secret and only taught to higher students. And so we have these two traditions. And then from the Mahayana, many other schools arise. Tibetan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Chan Buddhism, Pure Land Buddhism. The Bodhisattva uh, themselves, a Bodhisattva is a very high level practitioner. And the Bodhisattva is, uh, is understood through his vow of becoming enlightened for the benefit of all beings. This is the vow that the Bodhisattva takes. This, the Bodhisattva and the Bodhisattva path is, is one of pure altruism, that the, all of their practice, all of their, their direction is aimed at liberating all beings from suffering themselves and all beings. So again, this is the vow of the Bodhisattva. May I become awakened in order to benefit all sentient beings. Um, so with that said, uh, taking Bodhisattva vows with SBT is to pledge to awaken for the benefit of all sentient beings to uphold 26 additional precepts, additional over the 10 refuge precepts, while transcending 26 abandonments. The, the, the 26 precepts and 26 abandonments are opposites, and they serve to bring great clarity to the precepts. Uh, number three, to uphold your daily training of affirmation, practice, and proper behavior. Four, to recite your bodhisattva affirmation and pledge daily, 
and five to purify your vows monthly by honoring the day of observance so the last sunday of every month we have a day of observance the day of observance is a day we set our worldly preoccupations aside and we gather with sangha and we practice it's a day of practice and a day of joy and reflection um, with sbt we do an online retreat uh, to facilitate this and we we offer teachings and meditations and group chat and uh, it's a lot of fun uh, but within that we have a purification ceremony and all of our vow holders refuge vows bodhisattva vows lay ordain vows they all gather to purify their vows every month so here uh, you're making a commitment to doing that monthly and for those that can't make the event in the back of our practice guide there's a, a self-purification ceremony that you can do on your own the bodhisattva methodology and training is quite interesting and utilizes a fascinating aspect of the mind that the mind can only focus or entertain one thought, concept, or thing at a time. Although our senses can work together in tandem simultaneously, you can watch and hear a movie, you can smell and taste the popcorn. The mind lacks this ability. The mind, although being able to switch back and forth rapidly, can only entertain one thought or concept at any particular moment. So, while focusing the mind on benefiting others, we can't focus on our own self-interest. This trick allows us to reduce our egotism by focusing on the one thing that's as equally powerful as our own self-concern which is the concern we have for others. Now, some may doubt that, but if you, if you think about the people you care about the most, your, your, your spouses, your children, your mother and father, you know, the, the care we have for them equals our own self-interest. I used to say that taking bodhisattva vows was to abandon our lives in the service of others. But I was wrong. Instead, I realized that the Bodhisattva realizes the interdependence of all life and understanding that when we benefit others in a virtuous way, we're benefiting ourselves. And when we benefit others, we benefit others. Uh, when we benefit ourselves, we benefit others. I, uh, before we get onto the vows, I'd like to tell a story I always tell of uh, when I took Bodhisattva vows. So I was a very eager practitioner. I couldn't wait to take Bodhisattva vows. And I took them in Boulder, Colorado with a, in the Kagyu tradition with a, one of my teachers. And I, um, I was quite innocent about it and quite possibly over-enthusiastic about my new vows and commitments. And I went to great lengths to help others. Um, I, rem I remember I was, uh, I would do things like, 
um, I would leave the I would leave my house like a half an hour early wherever I went in case anyone needed help along the way, <laughs> right? And I I filled my trunk with all kinds of things to help people, blankets and things like that. And I remember uh, talking to another student about it. And, you know, telling them what I'm doing in my Bodhisattva work. And my teacher started chuckling. And, of course, I was quite interested in why, what made him chuckle about it. And I said, well, you know, am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I not doing it the right way? And, uh, and, his, and he said to me that Bodhisattvas don't possess such a, a direct or contrived intention nor do they expel that kind of direct effort. Instead, bodhisattvas simply shine, <laughs> radiating their innate goodness in everything they do. Meaning that bodhisattvas abide in stillness, then when they are needed, they intuitively and spontaneously act. Yeah, quite beautiful, isn't it? You know? So and when we talk about when we talk about this idea of direct or contrived intention, if you think about it, most things in our lives we plan pretty carefully, right? Even we're gonna help people, even if you're not thinking it, there's kind of a, a linear process that's expected that I'll do this thing and then they'll say thank you and then they'll be happy and then I'll feel good. There's this, there's this whole dance that goes along with helping others, right? If you've ever noticed that, if, you, if you've ever helped someone, this is true often when you help homeless people that um, I think that they're, they're always expected to say thank you and I think they, they get cold to that and they kind of stop and you give, you give somebody a sandwich or a little bit of money and they just take it and don't even look up and you're a little bit wounded like you want to say hey you're supposed to say thank you where's the goodness i'm supposed to feel right very funny so we have this kind of this kind of uh a contrived intention in everything we do where the bodhisattva lets go of that the bodhisattva isn't interested in in uh it doesn't need to be praised for the work they do they simply, they simply open their hearts, their skills, their goodness to the world. They shine. We learn the practice of shining in our skillful living program. It's a very powerful practice. And within your Bodhisattva study guide, there's a great extensive explanation on shining and how to practice it. So that's the idea. And, and it's not just our good qualities we shine with. The Bodhisattva, of course, shines with, with, when it's appropriate, shines with joy and goodness and love and compassion and care. But also, they can shine with courage and resilience. And they can shine with maturity, right? They're, they can, they can, their shining can be ferocious in, in the face of danger or injustice, right? All these, these, uh, these strong qualities that we have, they can shine in empathy, shine in compassion, shine in understanding. They shine all of their skills they shine with, right? 
all of their all of their life experience they shine through okay so uh, i wanted to tell you about that and it changed me quite a bit and as you can imagine that was actually the origin of our practice of shining when my teacher told me that i was i was quite struck by it it was a, it was quite a magnificent thing to hear and i started practicing it i when he told me he didn't go into the detail that i did he just told me that bodhisattvas just shine and so uh i started practicing that and i found that it was a, a just an extraordinary practice and then i i wrote down the sbt version of it Okay. Hey, I thought it would be a good time to look at the vows. Now, the Bodhisattva vows are a bit expand, uh, extensive. Uh, there's 26 here, and um, you can take your time and read through these uh, on your own. It's, these vows are in our practice guide, and, and the practice guide is open to anyone, whether you're taking Bodhisattva vows or not. You're, everyone is free to read all the different various practice guides. Everything we do with SPT is transparent and open. Uh, and you're free to actually practice it even without uh, taking formal initiation. No problem at all. But I thought we'd just read through. I think there's a couple that I want to explain. I'm going to leave the 26 abandonments to you to read. I'm going to go through the precepts. Remember, the idea is that they're opposites like our lay ordain, uh, I'm sorry, like our refuge vows are. We have the 10 virtuous and the 10 non-virtuous acts. And by, by placing them in opposite roles, it brings such clarity to the precepts. So let's go through these. Most are self-explanatory. The first precept, the first is our, uh, we have 12 root precepts. To awaken for the benefit of all beings, to work for the welfare of all sentient life, to help those in need according to my means, to take pleasure in serving others. That's a beautiful one. Uh, to not harm or punish sentient life. This idea of punishing sentient life is important, and it refers to simple things like spanking children or beating a dog. Bodhisattvas don't harm sentient life. And now you might say, well, that makes it a little difficult to train dogs or to raise kids. But the fact is, it 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 makes you uh, raise your game. When you don't have the ability to to use uh, use physical coercion to to train dogs or things, it makes you think and you have to figure out ways to do it. It makes you a better parent, a better owner. You gotta be smarter, right? Now punishment goes deeper than that because we have a, we have a culture of, of punishing uh, all our friends. So, you know, when you don't like what somebody says something and you decide, well, I'm not gonna invite them to my next dinner party. Well, why are you why are you doing that? You're doing it to punish that person, right? We punish each other in very small ways. Uh sometimes just not not talking to someone is a form of punishment. You know, they hurt your feelings and you're gonna let them know, you're gonna make them suffer. You're maybe you're not gonna give them the job that they wanted because you don't like the way they treated you. It, it's very uh, insidious, this, this idea. And you don't notice it until you f start following that rule. And you start to notice how 
wow, we do a lot more punishing than we think we do. You could do it in traffic, you know, drive real slow because that guy beeped at you from behind. <laughs> There's tons of ways we do it. Number six, to protect the environments of sentient life. So let alone are we committed to the, the well-being of all sentient life, but their environments as well. To just, to just uh, without, without concern, just destroy an area, a habitat, to just uh, to destroy a bird's nest for no reason. These kind of things are, are, we want to respect the environments of sentient life, not just the, the, the sentient lives itself. Now, this can be taken all the way up to the macro level of the earth itself. And bodhisattvas have a, 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 a commitment to protecting the environments of all sentient life, which is the earth itself. Number seven, to abide in stillness in the present moment. Eight, to be kind, friendly, and gentle. Uh, that's a beautiful vow. It's hard to do continuously, 24-7. Nine is to appreciate others and our own good qualities. Ten, to respect others and myself. Eleven, to appreciate different minds and dispositions. Twelve, to forsake a precept in order to benefit others. Now, twelve is a little puzzling to some people. To forsake, to break a precept in order to benefit others and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of examples i guess i usually use the one uh say you have a house guest and you realize that they have a weapon they have a gun and they're not a very they're not very uh balanced uh, mentally balanced person and you're afraid that they might hurt themselves or others so you decide to take the bullets you steal the bullets right Clearly, we have a precept against stealing, but as you can see, wisdom tells us in this case, it would be a great benefit to do. So there's a lot of examples like that where uh, we actually, you know, precepts aren't set, set in stone. They're guidelines, as we talked about yesterday. Precepts have to be accompanied with wisdom. To just blindly follow these is a form of ignorance. All of them have to use some wisdom, but you also have to be careful not to fool yourself and just, you know, whenever it's convenient, make up a reason <laughs> that you're allowed to break a vow. The six uh, embodiments are next, and they literally are the six perfections, which we're going to be learning about this week. To embody supreme generosity, supreme goodness, supreme patience, supreme joyous effort, supreme concentration, and supreme wisdom. Here the word supreme is very important. I had someone wrote me uh, just a while back and they said, I got rid of the word supreme because I, I thought I related to him better when it's just generosity. But the idea is, you know, most people in our lives, we aspire to these qualities, you know. Most of us try to be reasonably generous and good and patient. But here, we're not talking about just being everyday kind of good. We're talking about aspiring to the level of a bodhisattva or Buddhas, their level of these qualities, awakened generosity, right we're talking about extraordinary levels of generosity of goodness of patience effort and again it's aspirational so by by using that word supreme it reminds us that it's not our everyday because for me what happens is 
when I used to practice them in the old days, uh, they didn't have the word supreme. And I would just say, oh, I have all those. I, those, are all, those are all done. I'm generous. I'm good. I'm patient. I didn't realize that it wasn't everyday common qualities, aspects of these qualities, that these were the bodhisattva level that I was aspiring to. And that changed the practice uh, very much. The next are the eight cultivations. The cultiva to cultivate bodhicitta, the mind of awakening, humility and simplicity, moderation and balance, mental discipline, bliss and joy, stability and maturity, non-attachment to views, and equanimity for all sentient life. And this means that we see all sentient life as being fairly equal. Huh? I think it's I think naturally we we put more we put more weight on the higher a higher evolved species, you know, humans, primates, dolphins. So I think it's natural to have a little bit of priority. But uh, generally, we want to see all scented life as being a miracle in itself, a magical, right? No matter what, whether, whether it's a small little fly or a, or a human being, they all have a right for happiness and to live. And if anybody has any questions about the vows, you can share them on our, our social media. Um, now I'd like to talk about, so I'd like to talk about study and training. So we talked about the vows, precepts, commitments. That's one part of it. But then we have uh, studies and training that go along with this. So within Buddhism, the path of happiness, which means awakening, nirvana, or enlightenment, is cultivated through the Buddhist threefold path, the development of higher virtue, higher understanding, and higher awareness. At the Bodhisattva level, daily training and practice consists of first, Con, uh, first, continuing our refuge uh, commitments. So the, although you're taking bodhisattva vows, bodhisattva vows are built upon refuge. So the idea is you're continuing to cultivate your refuge vows, commitments, practices. So when we give refuge, we give the we give the vows, we give the practices, and the practices are listed here. But the idea is that over the course of possibly a year, we usually ask people to hold each level of vows for a year, that they've practiced these every day, and they've habituated themselves to them. And although they'll continue to practice these and cultivate them, uh, they may be in a position to deepen their practice by taking on some additional vows or precepts and practices. And that's what this is, the Bodhisattva precepts. So the Bodhisattva will continue to uphold their refuge vows, continue to cultivate the Four Noble Truths through, uh, and that's co uh, cultivate and realize the Four Noble Truths through study, contemplation, and meditation, and the practices of the Four Tasks, the Eightfold Path, 
abiding on the breath and the practice of shining. Those are the initial practices for refuge. So we've gotten that down. We've been practicing it for about a year. We feel comfortable with it. We decide, I think it's time to deepen my practice. I feel up for a stronger commitment. I'm going to talk to Tarpa about taking Bodhisattva vows. And if Tarpa thinks you're ready, <laughs> I shouldn't talk about myself in the third person, um, you can move on to Bodhisattva vows. And so, uh, and this includes study, practice, and upholding your Bodhisattva vows, precepts, commitments, and cultivating and realizing Bodhicitta, the mind of awakening. This is the primary focus of, or the initial focus of the Bodhisattva. And we do that through study, contemplation, and meditation, and the practices of the six perfections, mind training, and abiding in emptiness. So I'd like to break that down a little bit. So we talk about study practice and upholding one's Bodhisattva vows. That means you know, when you first get your vows, when you first take your vows, um, it's very difficult to hold them. The Bodhisattva vows in particular are, um, are quite an aspiration, quite a challenge to, to hold, but no one's expecting you to be able to hold them. The, the initial thing, it's a learning process. When you read those, when you first attempt to hold those, it is such a learning process. You're going to see things in your, in your personality and in your actions that you never really realized you did. Probably you experienced that already with refuge vows, right? When they say you know, the refuge vows to, to, to not lie, and you take the vow and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I lie a lot more than I think I do. And I lie about you know, little lies and other lies. And so at the beginning, it's a learning experience. I'd, I'd say for a great deal of the first year, it's a learning experience. You learn so much about yourself. And so that's what we mean by study, but also not just book study, because it's good to understand your vows, but experiential direct realization, you know, studying of yourself, introspection, you know, studying how these, how your vows play out when you're actually engaged with the world and talking with other people. And, um, and then cultivating and realizing bodhicitta. And this also we do through study, contemplation, meditation. And again, it's not just book study, it's real world experience right, this idea of altruistic mind. And bodhicitta is, is really the cultivation of compassion in so many ways. It really ties into compassion. Now, uh, in the back of the Bodhisattva guide, their study guide, there is extensive uh, teachings on these. So I'm going to let you read that yourself. And then the practices at Bodhisattva level are the six perfections, which we read during the vows, mind training, which I, I keep wanting to change it to heart training. Even though the mind is the place of our emotions, it's really heart training. It's really cultivating altruism through contemplations and sets of contemplations. That's in the, uh, the study guide as well. And then abiding in emptiness um, lays on top of abiding on the breath. It doesn't take its place. We abide on the breath. And this is Every day you're walking around, you just keep a little bit of awareness 
on your breath, in the back of your mind. You're talking to people, you're doing whatever. Always keep a little bit of awareness on the breath. Well, here we're adding another layer. Besides the breath, we're keeping a little bit of awareness on the true nature of reality. And again, you can read about that. So at Bodhisattva level, this is what we're doing. We're continuing our work with the refuge, with the refuge level practices, and we're laying Bodhisattva practice on top of it. And this Sunday, actually, we're going to be offering um, Bodhisattva vows for those who wish to take it, for those who have had uh, have held uh, SPT refuge vows for a, a considerable amount of time, and you believe you're ready. Uh, if anybody is in that situation, please reach out to me. We can uh, talk about it. Um, <clears throat> we will... Uh, Possibly in two weeks, we're going to be recording uh, some teachings on the various Bodhisattva level practices. So that's going to be up and coming. Until then, we do have older videos that are pretty old, but we have videos on all the various practices that we mentioned so far. So you should be able to get all this, all your studying. And uh, beyond Bodhisattva vows, uh, for SBT, the next level uh, is taking uh, lay ordained vows and this is a very serious step for just those people that are, are looking for a deep deep commitment to practice it's almost to the level of a monastic a monk or nun um, and it's a uh, you vow to uphold 26 precepts of awakened conduct you may notice that some of our sangha members wear these lovely white sashes these are people that have taking lay ordained vows. And, um, and currently we have 12 members who have done so. We have one more taking uh, lay vows this week, lay ordained vows, very exciting. Um, and then at some point we're gonna be offering monastic ordination, but we need a monastery before we do that. Um, we have all the, all the vows written, all the paperwork done. We just have to have a place to actually train monastics. Does anybody have any questions? These vow classes are long. Yes, Tashi. <clears throat> so it takes, if you have prior experience or if, if you do or you almost have a, a natural bodhisattva type, you know, mentality. Do, does does that year always have to be there, or not at all? Is that In, up to? Yeah, it's up to me. Yeah, uh, we have people that come that have already taken refuge in Bodhisattva uh, vows in other organizations, and they're able to step in. We had a, a monk a while back, and I was able to give them both in one day. So it really has to do with the uh, practitioner. The, what they need to do is they they need to be they need to know the material of refuge. They need to have practiced that long enough to get some effect from the practices. You know, especially the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. The idea is if the, if the practitioner doesn't have those practices down, it's going to be really hard to add another big set of, of practices on top. 
Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't have to be a year, but we say that. Thank you, Tasha. And we have a whole bunch of people taking refuge vows. We don't have anyone taking bodhisattva vows this month. <clears throat> we have we had a few people that are interested, but not quite ready. And but it's going to be wonderful. Okay, um, and then we're uh, we're also going to be recording a teaching on lay ordain taking lay ordain vows or taking lay ordination and uh, we'll have that up on uh, youtube in just a few days so that's going to be exciting ah miss gawa thank you uh, uh please uh reach out uh, reach out to me let's talk about it yeah. very good oh uh, so um that's about what i wanted to share with everybody um so let's end today's teaching with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy, may all be prosperous, may all be well, may all be present, free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. May all realize their true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Remember that the SBT community was created for one purpose and one purpose only, to support you, the practitioner. See you next time. Bye-bye.